Hello again, this is Buck Betting speaking. Welcome to another episode of the 1952-1953 season. This episode is a somewhat notorious episode because this is one that Mel Blanc often talks about in, in interviews. He talks about the episode in which the writers kind of did a play a joke on him, wrote in that he needed to do the sound of an English horse. No description of what they were talking about or anything, just said an English horse. And of course, tonight it's uh, what Mel comes up with. To salute that, I think tonight I'm going to... Let's see, what should I do tonight? <laughs> I'll play a little clip of Mel right now that's going to be talking about the English horse bit, and then uh, I'm going to include a Mel Blanc interview at the end of the episode, so listen to that, and you can listen to an interview with Mel Blanc. So we'll do that, and we'll see you next time. The English huh? horse. Oh, how they tried oh, to get wait, one. wait, you've got to hear this. <laughs> you know, we used to do weeks of westerns called Buck Benny Rides Again. Right, but Andy Devine. So we'd have a horse, Andy Devine would be on it, he'd call me Buck and everything. So... He would do the horses. So first do just the horse, the Winnie. That's right. Now, one day my riders and I got together and we said, let's play a dirty trick on Mel Blanc and see what he does at rehearsal. He must comment on it. So we said, let's write in an English horse. For no reason. Now, we thought, certainly, he must say to us, what the hell does this mean, an English horse? He never said a word to us, never opened his mouth. When it came time to do the English horse, this is what he did. We didn't even know it. <laughs> The Jack Benny Program, transcribed and presented by Lucky Strike. Say, friends, one thing is certainly true about cigarettes. Nothing, no nothing, beats better taste. And remember... Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. For Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, richer tasting. Fine tobacco. Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike. This is Don Wilson. I'm sure you'll agree that it's really the taste of a cigarette that gives you enjoyment. Yes, for real deep-down smoking enjoyment, nothing, no nothing, beats better taste. And Lucky's taste better, cleaner and fresher and smoother. One reason for that better taste is LSMFT, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Yes, the famous Lucky Strike taste begins with fine, light, naturally mild tobacco that has a wonderful aroma and a taste that's even better. Besides, Luckies are made better to taste better. Made specifically to give you a cleaner, fresher, smoother tasting smoke. So for real deep down enjoyment, get the better taste of Lucky Strike. Tomorrow, ask for a carton of Luckies. Luckies taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky Strike! Lucky Strike!
From the American Legion Hall in Palm Springs, California, the Lucky Strike Program, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we're doing our show from Palm Springs, California. And this year, hundreds of Hollywood's biggest stars have come here to get away. So now I bring you the man they thought they were getting away from, Jack Benny! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking. And Don, it's certainly nice to be back in Palm Springs, isn't it? Yes, it is, Jack. It's a wonderful place. This is the 12th straight year you've come to Palm Springs, isn't it? That's right, Don. And you know, after all of these years, I still can't get used to it. The climate? No, the prices. <laughs> anyway, Don, I'm glad that you're enjoying yourself here. I sure am, Jack. But I've got a bone to pick with you. You walked right by me this afternoon. I waved to you, and you didn't even acknowledge my greeting. But, Don, I didn't see you this afternoon. Don't kid me, Jack. I was sitting right by the Park Lane swimming pool in a red and white striped bathing suit. A red and white striped... Don, was that you? I thought it was a beach umbrella. <laughs> those people... Those people sitting in your shade pooled me there. <laughs> Now, Jack, I resent the way you keep giving everyone the impression I'm fat. I've lost a lot of weight. In fact, I felt self-conscious because my bathing suit was so loose on me. Oh. Well, Don, maybe your bathing suit was loose on you, but the pool fit you like a glove. <laughs> Especially around the deep end, you know? You look like... Hi, uh... Jack. Don. Hi, everybody. Well, hello, Hi. Bob. How are you? Hi, oh, Bob. Oh, Hey, Don, didn't I see you at the Park Lane this afternoon? Oh, yes, you did. Oh, are you staying there too, Bob? Oh, no, Jack. I brought June and the kids up with me, so I rented one of those family bungalows on the edge of town. Oh, that's nice. I bet the kids are having a good time. Yeah, huh? but this morning we had a little excitement. Well, what happened? Well, Malia, our baby, she crawled away from the bungalow, and she'd gone two miles into the desert before we caught up with her. I wonder why she did that. Well, she thought she was in the sandbox that Uncle Bing gave her. <laughs> You know, Malia, she's a cute kid. You know, Bob, you've got five of the nicest children that I've ever met. Yeah, I guess so. What do you mean, you guess so? Yeah? Well, Jack, they're good children. They're well-behaved. They're smart in school and kind of their mother, dependable. They respect me, but... Uh... So what's wrong? Well, five kids and not one of them sings like Gary. <laughs> you mean none of your kids are talented? Well, Malia is. In fact, next week she starts out on a nightclub tour. A nightclub tour? What are you talking? She's only a baby. What can she do? Well, she cries like Johnny Ray. Oh! <laughs> By the way, Jack, where are you staying at the Biltmore? What? Bob, read that line over again, will you please? <laughs> oh, I, I see. Uh, By the way, Jack, where are you staying? At the Biltmore? That's better. <laughs> To him, it's nothing. But a comma can cost me $30 a day. 
No, Bob, I'm not at the Biltmore. They didn't have a vacancy there. Well, where are you staying, Jack? Well, I'm at a little place just at the edge of town. It's called the El Pocho de La Salle. The El Pocho de La Salle? Yes, that's Spanish for don't let the sand get in your eyes. Don't let the cactus break your heart. <laughs> It's very nice. You know, it's one of the... Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Hi, everybody. Uh, what were you fellas talking about? Well, Mary, we were just discussing a motel here in Palm Springs. Have you ever heard of the El Pocho de la Salle? The El Pocho de la Salle? Yes, Don, I know quite a few people who've stayed there. You see? I hear it's not bad if you don't mind taking the shots. <laughs> Yeah. Silly, you know, they find a few tsetse flies in the kitchen and the board of health gets all excited. <laughs> anyway, I like to stay there. They give you a room and your meals, you know, for $2 a day. For $2 a day, they give you meals and a room? Yeah. What about a bath? They insist on it. <laughs> they do not. They just make you run through the sprinklers. <laughs> Slowly. <laughs> Where are you stopping, Mary? Uh, at the Howard Manor. Oh, yes, I called you there today and you were out. I know, I was playing tennis over at the racket club. Oh, the racket club, eh? Yeah, and Mr. That May was, a great was there. Line, wasn't it? Oh, the racket <laughs> club, eh? I get all those lines all through the show. You know what it is. What'd you say, Mary? I said Mr. May was there. Oh, you mean Tom May, the owner of the May Company? Yes, and I could have played tennis with him, too, if I just hadn't gotten so excited. Excited? What do you mean? Well, when he handed me the racket, I wrapped it up and was figuring the sales tax before I knew what I was doing. <laughs> well, how do you like that? But, Mary, if you're oh, going... Jack. Jack. What is it, Bob? Well, before I forget, the boys in the band want me to ask you if they can leave immediately after the show. Leave Pop Springs? Why, it's so nice and warm here. Well, that's what they're complaining about. What? Well, this desert sun is murder on those ice cubes. <laughs> Bob, you mean the boys are at it again? Well, on the contrary, Jack, they've been behaving. In fact, Remley was in bed at 9 o'clock last night. Remley? <laughs> Remley in bed by 9 o'clock? How come? Well, he was walking down Palm Canyon Drive. He saw the sign on the Cheek Club, and he decided wait to minute, turn Wait a minute, wait a minute, Bob. And... It isn't the Cheek Club. It's Chi-Chi. Well, how do you like that? <laughs> Gee, Remley thought he was seeing double, and he went right to bed. <laughs> It couldn't happen to a nicer guy. <laughs> well, hello, Dennis. Well, hello, Mr. Benny. Gee, <laughs> hey, Mr. Benny, I'm sorry I'm late. Oh, that's all right, kid. Well, you don't have to get mad. <laughs> Dennis, I'm not mad. You came in a little late. That's the end of it. I tried to get you all afternoon and tell you I'd be a little late. You phoned my motel? Yeah, but I think the telephone wires were crossed. Oh. Every time I dialed your number, I got the board of health. <laughs> well, if a tsetse fly answers, hang up. <laughs> board of health. Dennis, where were you this afternoon? Oh, I was out with a girl. Oh. Dennis, you've already been out with a girl? Well, that's pretty fast work. Oh, it's easy to find a girl in Palm Springs. Every store window in town is advertising them. Advertising what? Advertising dates. Oh, I see. <laughs>
money, you don't need the joke. <laughs> Dennis, those dates, those are the kind that come out of trees. Oh, no wonder her arms were so long. <laughs> no, no, Dennis, I'm talking about stuff dates. Mine ate like a pig. <laughs> That kid drives me nuts. Oh, take it easy, Jack. I can't help it, Mary. I come to Palm Springs to get some sun, play some golf, have a nice rest, and that kid makes a wreck out of it. Say, Jack, I've been out on the golf course every day. I haven't seen you out there playing. I know. That would happen to me. I left Beverly Hills, forgot my golf clubs. You know what? I'm going to call Rochester and have him send them. Excuse me. Number, please. Oh, hello, operator. I'd like to place a call to Beverly Hills, California. Crestview 44124, please. Yes, sir. Who's calling, please? Jack Benny. Oh, Mr. Benny, I'm certainly glad you came to Palm Springs. Well, thank you. I hope you're planning to stay a long time. Uh, are you one of my fans? No, my father owns the El Pocho de La Salle. <laughs> what? Next time, take off your socks when you run through the sprinklers. I will, I will. Now, get me the number, will you? The circuits are busy. I'll ring you when I get your party. Thank you. Fresh operator. Dennis, while I'm waiting, you better sing your song, will you? Okay. singing even now. And Dennis, it was excellent. Thanks, Mr. Benny, and I'm sorry I made you nervous. That's all right, kid. It's just that I was out in the sun all day and my head hurts. Uh, your head hurts? Well, Dennis, do you see spots in front of your eyes? Uh-huh. Oh, my goodness, maybe you're suffering from a sunstroke. Sunstroke? Certainly. I mean, how long have you been seeing these spots in front of your eyes? Next month, it'll be 22 years. <laughs> Uh, 
Dennis, sit down. You're just mad because I'm a better singer than you are. Well, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Certainly you're a better singer than I am. I'm a comedian. I'm funnier than you are, too. Oh, stop! <laughs> I don't know why I... I'll get it. That must be my call to Rochester. Hello? Is this Mr. Benny? Yes. I'm ringing your party in Beverly Hills. Thank you. Mr. Benny's residence star of stage, screen, radio, television, and it's getting hard to live with every day. Rochester! Rochester, it's me. Oh, hello, boss. <coughs> Rochester, what's the matter? Well, the weather's been kind of chilly in Beverly Hills. <coughs> Wait a minute. Are you hinting for me to let you come to Palm Springs? Either that or permission to turn on the heat. <laughs> what? The pilot light don't give off much. Now, Rochester's not going to do you any good to complain because you're not coming up here. You got to stay home and take care of Polly, my parrot. She's got uh, a cold. I've been taking care of her. I gave her a hot toddy, but I think I put in too much whiskey. Why? What happened? She fell off the Persian when I went to pick her up. She took a swing at me. <laughs> No. And, boss, nothing looks worse than a green parrot with red eyes. Well, give her an Alka-Seltzer. I did, and the bubbles keep knocking her off the perch again. <laughs> well, look, Rochester, the reason I called, I want you to send me my golf bag and clubs. I returned it to Mr. and Mrs. Coleman. Well, where are the Coleman? In Palm Springs. Oh, well, then I'll get it myself. Where are the Coleman staying? I don't know, but they don't have to run through sprinklers. <laughs> well, I hope not. Who wants to play with a wet golf bag? Goodbye, Rochester. Goodbye. Oh, say, boss. Now what? Is Mr. Bing Crosby going to be on your radio program next week? Yeah, what about it? Well, let's plug it. Let's plug it. Plug it. Oh, yes, yes. Thank you, Rochester. Goodbye. Goodbye. Now, kids, I want you to keep Wednesday afternoon open because I'm going to make arrangements for us all to play golf together. If it's all the same to you, Jack, I'd rather not. You can count me out, too. Me, too. What about you, Dennis? You want to play golf with me? No, you cheat. <laughs> when did I... Oh, never mind. What's the matter with everybody here? Why does anybody want to play golf with me? Look, Jack, after that steak ride you arranged last night, you can't blame us. Why, that steak ride wasn't so bad. Oh, no? Well, I'm going to tell the audience what happened, and they can be the judge. Don't be silly, Mary. Nobody's interested. Oh, yes, they are. Ladies and gentlemen, oh. last night we all wanted to have some fun, and Jack made arrangements and insisted that the whole cast go on a steak ride with him. Hmm. It was about 7 o'clock when he arrived at the stage. <laughs> Now, come on, everybody. We'll get our horses. Over here, Don. Bob. We're with you, Jack. I didn't think you were there for a minute. (laughs) 
Come along, Mary. I'll talk to that fellow over there about the horses. Oh, mister, mister. Yeah! Are you the one who takes care of the stable? Well, who do you think I am with this broom in my hand? An off-season witch? Look, I'm Mr. Benny. I called up about a steak ride for this evening. Oh, yes. I have it written right here. Sixteen horses for a steak ride. Sixteen horses? But there are only 15 of us. You're gonna eat, aren't you? <laughs> Look, don't be funny. If I want jokes, I'll call my writers. In which stable are they in? Now cut that out. <laughs> and get a move on. We're anxious to get started. All right. What kind of a horse would you like? Oh, I don't care. Well, I've got a brown horse, a gray horse, a black horse, and a purple one with yellow polka dots. Well, that's silly. Who ever saw a purple horse with yellow polka dots? I did. Quiet, Remley. <laughs> Now, look, mister, we're not fussy about the horses, but get them ready, will you? All right, I'll be back in the gym. Jack, I've never been on a steak ride before. What do you do? Well, Don, this is my party, so nobody has to worry about a thing. I've arranged for us all to get horses here. I've got a guide who'll lead us through the desert and uh, to a beautiful little spot in the mountain. Really? And when we get there, I've arranged for some men to have a big fire going, and while the cook prepares dinner, we'll sit around the fire, sing songs, and then I've seen to it that you'll all get thick charcoal broiled steaks. Ah, uh, sounds wonderful, Jack. What happens after that? We all pay our share and go home. <laughs> you do not. Well, here he comes with the horses. Uh, here are the horses, Mr. Benny. Which one would you like? Well, I don't know. Uh, this one is a Palomino. <laughs> uh, this is a very gentle mare. <laughs> and this one is an English horse. An English horse? <laughs> Well, I'll take this English horse. Help me up, will you? Be quiet, Cecil. This is a big horse. It's sure high up here. Hey, Mary, this is fun, isn't it? Yeah, and I've got a beautiful horse. Look at mine, Mary. Did you ever see such a long mane? Put your glasses on. You're sitting backwards. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. We're all ready. All right, kids, let's go. Isn't it beautiful out here on the desert? Yeah, and the sky is so clear. And this trail is so nice. No ruts, no bumps, no stones. Well, you can thank Don. His horse's stomach is smoothing it out. <laughs> when Don rides... <laughs> What's that? Well, it's either a coyote or somebody got his bill at the racket club. <laughs> Gee, coyotes and everything. I love riding out here. I should have been a cowboy. I'm an old cow hand from the Rio Grande. And your hair just fell down in the sand. <laughs> I'm a cowboy who never saw a cow. Never paid a bill cause you don't know how. <laughs> I sure ain't fixing to start it now. Hey, say, Mr. Benny. If you like singing, I brought the Guadalajara Trio from the dollhouse along for entertainment. Oh, that's wonderful. Will they sing for us? Why, sure they will. 
boys, is sing something for Mr. Bennett. Siempre que te pregunto que cuando, como y dónde, tú siempre me respondes, quizás, quizás, quizás. Así pasan los días y yo desesperando y tú sos mocalaki. Canso Estás perdiendo el tiempo Pensando, pensando It's LSMFT Por mí, sí, sí Así pasan los días Y yo desesperando Y tú sos mocalaki Pues no lucen Sí, sí. You'll find that there is nothing, no nothing better tasting. So let's all light a lucky from Kentucky, time's a wasting. Así pasan los días y yo desesperando y tú sos moca lucky. No rap, she's rap, she's she. Gee, that, that was really wonderful. I'd like to thank the Guadalajara Trio. And you can talk to that fellow over there. He's in charge of them. Oh, oh, I see. Pardon me, are you associated with the Guadalajara Trio? Si, senor. <laughs> I am their part-time manager. Oh, just part-time. What do you do the rest of the time? Huh? I turn on the sprinklers at the El Pocho de la Song. <laughs> well, that doesn't seem like much for a man to do. Huh? Earlier in the program, I was a horse. <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, come on, kids. We better get going. You just killed the illusion. <laughs> uh, when are we going to get to the camp, Jack? Yeah, we should have been there an hour ago. Hey, maybe we're going in the wrong direction. Yeah, what is this anyway? Maybe we're lost. I'm not. You're not? No, I still see the same spots in front of my eyes. <laughs> oh, boy. I wonder where we are anyway. I'll ride up and ask the guide. Let's see. There he is up on the horse in front there. Uh, pardon me, uh, Guy, how much longer until we get to the camp? I don't know. <laughs> well, how much farther is it? I don't know. <laughs> well, are we going in the right direction? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know anything. Are you the guide? I'm a jockey. I made a wrong turn at Santa Anita. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. Did he say we were going in the right direction? He don't know. But if we stay, <laughs> if we stay on the trail, we can't miss. 
Gee, kids, all we have to do now is build a fire. When we barbecue these steaks, you'll be glad you went on this trip. Oh, boy, look at those steaks. I can't wait till they're ready. Gee, they look wonderful. They sure do. Oh, boy. Well, I've got all the twigs and the wood and the paper and everything ready to make the fire. Who's got a match? 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 Don, Don, give him a match. I haven't got one, Jack. Mary, have you got a match? No. Bob? I ain't got one either. Holy smoke, what did we do? Wait a minute, Dennis, didn't I give you a book of matches? That was last Christmas. <laughs> well, look, mister, you're responsible for the steak, right? It's up to you to have matches. Well, I always forget something. What? The last time I forgot the steaks. <laughs> well, that's settled it. Come on, Cecil, let's go home. Ladies and gentlemen, the nation's fight against infantile paralysis continues relentlessly. The March of Dimes has made this possible, but your contributions must keep rolling in in order to continue the fight against polio. Please send your dimes and dollars to your local March of Dimes headquarters now. Join the March of Dimes. Thank you. Jack will be back in just a moment, but first, nothing, no nothing beats better taste. And remember... Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. For Lucky's strike means fine tobacco, richer tasting. Fine tobacco. Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky strike. Lucky strike. Surely it's true, friends, that you'll get more enjoyment from a cigarette that tastes better. Fact is, in cigarette smoking, nothing, no nothing beats better taste. And Lucky's taste better cleaner and fresher and smoother. No wonder a nationwide survey based on actual student interviews in 80 leading colleges reveals that more smokers in these colleges prefer Lucky's than any other cigarette. And why? The number one reason the students gave for smoking Lucky's was better taste. Now, friends, I know you yourself are sure to find that Lucky's taste better, cleaner, fresher, and smoother. And because they do taste better, Lucky's will bring you the deep-down enjoyment every smoker wants. So be happy. Go lucky. Tomorrow, ask for a carton of Lucky Strike. Be happy. Go lucky. Get better taste today. Ladies and gentlemen, next week we will also be broadcasting from Palm Springs and our guest star will be Bing Crosby. We felt that we should have something to brighten up the program, and if Bing wears his usual shirt, that will do it. And also... Say, Jack, is my brother Bing really going to be on? Yes. Well, if he's going to sing a song, he'll have to change his style. He sounds too much like me. He'll change it. He'll change it. Good night, folks. Jack Benny program is written by Sam Perrin, Milt Josephsberg, George Balzer, John Tackerberry, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. Be sure to hear The American Way with Horace Heights for Lucky Strike every Thursday over this same station. Consult your newspaper for the time. Jack Benny program is brought to you by Lucky Strike, product of the American Tobacco Company, America's leading manufacturer of cigarettes. This is the CBS Radio Network.
That's a Woody Woodpecker song. He's a pecking it all day long. Woody Woodpecker song, and here with me under the smogberry trees is the voice of Woody Woodpecker, Mr. Mel Blank. <laughs> Mel Blank, the man with at least a million and one voices. So good to have you here, Mel. Hey, what's up, Doc? I can, re- I can really say Doc now. <laughs> I guess it's not every day you get to say, what's up, Doc, to a doctor of dementia. Well, I'm tickled pink over that. <laughs> well, thanks very much. I'm certainly glad to speak with you, Doc. <laughs> well, we're right here under the smogberry trees with Mel, and we're going to play some of Mel's favorite records that he's done on his own and with some of the other great demented artists and uh, oh, reminisce a little bit about the old days and the new days. I'm glad to glad to hear glad to hear. Yeah, go ahead, Doc. Let's be demented and start with the new days. Like, what are you doing these days? What are you doing to keep busy? Well, right now I'm doing a a series for Hanna Barbera, and it's called Captain Caveman. That's that big hairy guy that pulls little things out of his coat, like dinosaurs and so on. And his voice is kind of low, like so. boy, girls. So you're doing voices for a cartoon, then? Uh, yes, oh. and uh, we're also doing a new series on uh, uh, the Flintstones, uh-huh. reviving uh, 17 new shows on the Flintstones. These are for television. Uh, yes, uh, I do uh, Bonnie Rubble on the Flintstones. <laughs> Saturday mornings just wouldn't be the same without you, Mel. Uh, not quite. You know, I oppose myself on uh, three different networks. I'm on ABC with Captain Caveman, and uh, on uh, CBS with The Bugs Bunny Show, and on uh, NBC with Daffy Duck, the crazy little uh, sort of a duck that puts people like this. <laughs> Have you kept count of how many TV episodes you've done, how many cartoons? I know I've done uh, over 3,000 cartoons. Counting uh, TV episodes yes, and, and yeah, theatrical right. cartoons. Right. 3,000. Mm-hmm. Some wonderful records along the way, too. Uh, that's right. I did most of them for Capitol Records. Uh huh. And uh, they were pretty big sellers, too. I got a couple of gold records. And uh, uh, Which did you get the gold records for? Uh, one was uh, for uh, I Taught I Taught Putty Tat. Oh, that's day. a great one. Let, let's roll that one right now. All right. Tiny bird, my name is Tweety Pie. I live inside my bird cage, a hanging way up high. I like to swing upon my perch and sing my little song. But there's a cat that's after. 
of me and won't wet me a wound. I tore, I tore a putty tap a tweepin' upon me. I did, I tore a putty tap as plain as he could be. I am that great big battle cat. Sylvester is my name. I only have one aim in life, and that is very plain. I want to catch that little bird and eat him right away. But just as I get close to him, this is what he'll say. I taught a tall putty cat creeping upon me. You bet he saw a putty cat. That putty cat is me. With Mel Blanc on the Dr. Demento Show. That was one of the first records I ever had when I was a kid. And uh, we're here right uh, with Mel Blanc under the smogberry trees. Billy May had the uh, band on that one, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Billy uh, played a lot of my recordings. And uh, he was uh, great even then. He's great now, but he was great even then. Did he do the arrangements? Uh, I think he did, yes. Uh Uh And conducted the band. Yeah, that's Uh right. Capitol Records really had a wonderful stable of not only comic artists like yourself, Mickey Katz, Yogi Orgeson, and also they made just some of the best kids' records that ever were done, too. Uh, Yes, they did. In fact, our kids' records were the biggest sellers for, oh, about uh, 15 years. The kids loved them then, and then along came television. I guess it kind of died out. But they live on. You you did uh, a bunch about Woody Woodpecker. Uh, Yeah, Uh that's right. You know, uh, I was contracted to Warner's, and I couldn't do the voice after I created it for Walter Lance. I couldn't continue to do it, and I told him... You went over to a different studio then, to Warner's. Yeah, he was with uh, Universal then. And uh, I told him I couldn't do it anymore, and uh, he tried to get someone else to do it. And uh, he finally found a girl that could do it, come, come close to it. And I don't, uh, I say this as a gag, but I think it's true. He didn't want to lose her, so he married her. It's Grace Stafford. 
<laughs> he did marry her, though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> For Warner's thing, you did Bugs Bunny. That's right. Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig, Daffy Duck, Tweety, Sylvester, Foghorn, Leghorn, Yosemite Sam, Pepe Le Pew, Speedy Gonzalez. The man from Mars, don't forget him. Oh, they make me very angry. Mel, did you use any sort of uh, electronic gadgetry in order to make any of the voices you did? No, that question is asked by me by many people. I do not use any gadget in my voice at all. However, I do record a voice at just below normal speed and then it is played back at normal speed which raises the voice a little bit maybe about 10 to 15 percent but that is about the limit of any any gadgetry that I use uh, those that are sped just a little bit are Porky Pig, uh, Daffy Duck, uh, Speedy Gonzales. Uh, I think that I think that's about it. Mm -hmm. Just ten or fifteen percent. That's just like a couple of notes on the scale. Yeah, that's right. Maybe they raise the voice about about here. I could do it without it, but I don't uh, do it that way. They just speed it uh, a little bit. <laughs> they call it sped, but it actually is uh, retarded and then played back at normal. Did you work with uh, Bozo the Clown? Uh, yes, yes, that was Pedro Kalvig. Uh huh. He was a uh, quite a great guy. In fact, I think he uh, created Pluto for Walt Disney. And uh, he did a lot of stuff uh, with us at uh, Warner Brother Cartoons. And uh, he passed away some time ago, but he was, uh, he was a very wonderful guy. Certainly one of the great voice people of all time. And uh, there have been some others. Dawes Butler has done so many. That's true. Uh, Dawes and uh, a couple of other people are great impersonators, too. This is something I don't do. I don't impersonate people. All my voices have been created. You don't impersonate no. real-life people? Though. No, I don't, no. although I can, but I, I don't. The only one I ever impersonated was uh, was uh, Elmer Fudd. Now, that was created by Arthur Q. Bryan, and he died about 30 years ago. And uh, Frizz Freeling, one of the directors, came to me and said, Look, uh, can you do uh, Elmer Fudd? I said, uh, Try to get somebody else you know I don't like to imitate. And he tried everybody and couldn't get anybody to do it. And finally came back to me and said, Mel, says, there's just a couple of lines. Won't you try it? I said, all right, I'll try, but I don't know if I could do it or not. <laughs> he said, well, that's it. So I've been doing it ever since. You're hired. <laughs> Where did you grow up? Well, I was uh, born in San Francisco, California, and uh, I was raised in Portland, Oregon. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Lived there myself for a while. Was oh, that right? Mm -hmm. I did my first uh, radio show from Portland. Uh, on a program called the Hoot Owls, which was a charitable show. And my brother accompanied me, my brother Henry accompanied me on the piano, and I sang a song called Juanita. It's not that beautiful, Juanita. This is Wanna Eat, Wanna Eat, Juanita. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you sang it on the air, live radio, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in Portland, Oregon. I'm sure there are a lot of dimensions and dementites uh, listening there. So. Oh, yeah. If they're, if they're old enough, they remember the Hoot Owls. So that was, what, in the... Uh, 30s? In 1927. 1927. Uh -huh. When did you uh, leave there then and come to uh, Southern California? Well, I uh, I was in music for a good many years. In fact, mm -hmm. I conducted the uh, music for vaudeville uh, at, at the Orpheum Theater when I was just 22 years oh, old. Oh, in Portland? Yeah, that's oh. right. And uh, You conducted a band then? Yeah. Did that's... you do the arrangements? Oh, yeah, we did uh, such acts as Edgar Bergen and uh, Charlie and... Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, oh, so you conducted for all yeah. the acts that would come to town. Yeah, then. that's right. Oh. It was a pretty difficult job for, for a young kid, only 22. But so, uh, I, w I was the youngest conductor they ever had at Orpheum. Is that so? So you have a pretty uh, 
firm foundation in music then. Is uh, yes, I, I studied violin for eight years, and then I wanted to play in the in the high school band. And uh, I knew that I'd look kind of silly walking down the street with a violin, so I took up tuba, which is a bass horn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I played with some of the top orchestras in, uh, in Portland uh, and uh, Seattle and around that area. So when you came to uh, Hollywood, so to speak, was it as a musician at first? Uh, no, I was in radio then, and uh, I uh, started down here. I, I, I did a program in Portland. I was called back to Portland after I got married in 1933. I was called back to Portland to do a program called Cobwebs and Nuts. Huh. And uh, I had to write this show and do all the voices on it uh, six nights a week, one hour a night. Wow, and uh, That's that was quite a, a pace. Thing. After two years, my wife finally said to me, uh, "You want a nervous breakdown, or you want to move back to Los Angeles?" I said, "Maybe we better move back to Los Angeles." So I came back in 1935, and uh, the first program I got down here was on KFWB with Johnny Murray. He had a program, and uh, he paid me more for the one night show than I, I got for the whole whole week up in Portland. <laughs> so you decided Hollywood was the place. Yeah, that's right. My first the transcontinental show was with Joe Penner. Do you remember Joe? You're, yeah. you're probably too young for that. <laughs> I've certainly heard of him uh -huh. and heard air checks of yeah, him. You little boy, a duck, was one of his uh, expressions. Did that give you the idea to start doing voices? Uh, yes. The, uh, I had listened to the cartoon voices, and I, I thought they needed help. And I went over to, uh, to Warner Brothers, which was then called Leon Schlesinger Cartoons, and I spoke to the man in charge of voices, and uh, I told him I'd like to audition for him. He said, I'm sorry, we have all the voices we need. Well, I went back in two weeks and said, won't you at least listen to me? He says, no, we have all the voices we need. This went on for a year and a half. Every two weeks, I go back to this guy and say, won't you listen to me? Give me an audition. He said, no, I'm sorry, we have all we need. Finally, this guy died. So I went to the next man in charge. His name was Treg Brown. Trick said, sure, let's hear what you can do. I auditioned for him, and he liked it. And he called uh, the directors in and had me audition for them, and they liked it. And one of them said, uh, I have a, a cartoon coming up with a drunken bull. Do you think you can do the voice of a drunken bull? And uh, this was my first assignment. I said, yeah, I think so. He said, what would he sound like? I said, well, he was sound like it was a little, little loaded, and then he was, he was looking for the... The sour mash. <laughs> he said, great, great, what are you doing next Tuesday? <laughs> I wasn't doing a darn thing. I said, yeah, I think I can make it. So that was my first voice in the cartoons, was that of a drunken bull. Okay, we'll be right back. When we left off, you were doing your first cartoon voice, the drunken bull. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, they showed me the picture of a little pig. He said his name was Porky Pig. And uh, I wanted to be real authentic about it, so I went out to a pig farm, and I wallowed around with the pigs for a couple of weeks. And I went back to the studio, and they kicked me out and said, go home and take a bath, <laughs> which I did. When I come back, I said, if a pig could talk, he'd talk with a grunt. That's why Porky got his voice here with a grunt. And kind of a stutter, too. Well, it, it actually isn't a stutter. I never heard anybody talk like talk funny. Pigs have never been the same since. <laughs> so that that was uh, about when? What year was that about? Uh, that was in 1937. 1937. Yeah. You just went on to do more and more cartoons for uh, 
Schlesinger and then... Yeah, Schlesinger uh, was related to the Warners, and he mm-hmm. sold to them, and it then became Warner Brother Cartoons. Mm-hmm. That is after a couple of years of, uh, uh-huh. I worked with Schlesinger. Oh, it's a funny thing, you know, I asked Schlesinger for a raise because I was doing so many cartoons. He said, what do you want to make more money for? You just have to pay more taxes. <laughs> so I said, well, uh, at least you can give me screen credits. He said, whoever heard of giving screen credits for a voice? I said, well, look, you won't give me a raise. You might as well give me screen credits. He says, all right, we'll say voice characterization, Mel Blanc. How's that? I said, fine. So I was so happy that he didn't give me the raise because all the people who saw the cartoons knew that it was me doing the voice. And they called me in to do their radio shows. Oh. In fact, I was doing 18 transcontinental shows a week because of the, the titles I got in the Schlesinger cartoons. Were you uh, the first to get screen credit for your... Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. To my knowledge, I was the first one ever to receive screen credits for a voice. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was very glad he didn't give me the raise and gave me the screen credits instead. So what sort of radio shows were you doing at that time? Well, I was doing uh, Burns and Allen, Abbott Costello, Judy Canova, uh, Al Pierce, practically all of the top shows. And then Jack Benny heard, knew it was me doing the voices, and he called me in and said... Uh, I have a bear in the basement that's guarding my vault. Do you think you can do a voice for him or a grunt? And I said, yeah, I think so. He said, what would he sound like? I said, maybe like this. He said, great, great, you're on next week. So for six months, that's all I did was a growl of a bear. Finally, I said to him, you know, Mr. Benny, I can also talk. (laughs) Jack (laughs) fell down, (laughs) pounded the table, said, I'll have the writers write something in for you. Then you did something else for Benny that was even more famous. The seaside routine? Yeah. Oh, yes. A- and the car. Oh, his Maxwell. Yeah. Uh, that happened accidentally. Uh, you know, the sound effects men were supposed to play it on a, on a phonograph record. And uh, when it came to that cue, I saw that they hadn't plugged in the electrical socket to turn the to phonograph. So I jumped up to the microphone and I made like a Maxwell. <laughs> Jack said, you're now my Maxwell. So that's how that started. So that phonograph was fired. (laughs) But speaking of phonographs, wasn't it about that time you started making records? Uh, Yes, that's right. What what was the first record you were ever on? Uh, I think the first record I ever made with... uh, Gosh, you know, I can't remember what my first record was. Is it the one with Spike Jones? I I made some stories along... No, I made some story uh, records with... uh, uh, Al Livingston, who was uh, then vice president of Capitol, and uh, then I uh, started doing some songs, and I think uh, one of the first ones was uh, Toot Tootsie. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll, we'll have that a little later on in the show. Uh-huh. Right. But uh, I want to get to that one you did with Spike Jones. Uh, oh, the one with Spike Clink, Clink, Another was, Drink. Uh, yeah. Clink, Clink, Another Drink. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think that was Capitol Records. Though. I think it was, No, it was uh, in Bluebird. Yeah, the subsidiary of uh, Victor, I think. And... Uh, that, that was a crazy little song, Clink, Clink, Another Drink. How did that come about? Well, uh, he knew that I did the hiccuping voice, and he called me in to, uh, to do this uh, song along with him. Fortunately, I could sing, and I sang it along with him at, uh, at rehearsal, and he says, great, great, we're going to make a phonograph record of it. Clink, clink, no more to drink. 
I had a cellar full, but now it's gone. Drink, drink, the glasses clink. I like the anvil chorus, and my head is splitting. A breaky, a busty. Oh, brother. Oh, ow. What do I do now? Pink elephants are running after me. Though that stuff was smooth as silk, from now on I'll stick to milk. Nothing else to drink for me. So they made a record of it, and then uh, I did a, a short uh, picture with him. Remember when they had these uh, machines that you put a dime into and you could see a picture for maybe uh, five or six minutes? They had those oh, machines, yeah. and, and uh, they, they made a uh, actual motion picture of the of the song, and then showed it on these little uh, ten cent machines. What was Spike Jones like to work with? Oh, he was a great guy, very very nice man, and uh, a very thoughtful man too. And he had some crazy ideas, believe me. Was he a real pro? Uh, yes, he was. He was quite a pro. His son now is. Uh, is doing more or less the same thing with his orchestra. Spike Jr. Yeah, Spike yeah. Jr. Uh, he's a real nice boy, yeah. too. Was uh, Spike Sr. very demanding of the musicians that worked with him? No. No, he mm. wasn't. No, he uh, he more or less let them ad-lib a lot of stuff that uh, that he thought was good. The same as mm. I ad-lib a lot of lines in the cartoons that the, the directors think uh, they should use instead of what they already have written. He was he was very nice. He uh, he could get some crazy ideas from the from the guys in the band, which helped uh -huh. him along quite a bit. Then you started recording uh, under your own name for Capital, That's doing right. uh, not only stories but also some pop songs too. That's true. I did uh, quite a few songs. In fact, uh, the one uh, I taught I taught a putty tat. Uh, I got a gold record on that, and uh, for. Uh, Oh, the Woody Woodpecker song got one on that, mm -hmm. and uh, oh, a couple other tunes. I can't even remember the names of them. <laughs> yeah, you did some wonderful songs, like from the twenties and the thirties. Uh, "I Love Me" was one of them. Yeah, that was a cute song. Uh, I uh, I played that by Eddie Cantor on my show, and then I played your version, and uh, yeah. yours got more calls. No kidding, I must say. <laughs> oh, Eddie so, was a very great man. Yeah. I worked with Eddie on one or two of his shows too. On radio? Yes, radio. And incidentally, you haven't asked me about my watch collection. No. <laughs> well, I have an antique watch collection. And uh, it goes back to the year 1510. Uh, I, had I didn't know they had time back then. Well, this was uh, a very famous watchmaker, Peter Henlein of Germany. He made the first watch, which was uh, then called a carrying timepiece. It was small, only had one hand on it. And it uh, rang the time on the hour. And I, uh, I have that. I have about 300 antique watches. And uh, that is uh, among my favorites. Mel, it's certainly been great talking to you here under the smogberry trees about your great career, wonderful things that you've done and are certainly going to be doing in the future. So uh, once again, tell me uh, what cartoons we ought to be watching for to hear some of your new voices. Well, there's a special coming out that uh, uh, Chuck Jones is working on right now, and that'll be called uh, The Great Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner Chase, and that should be a full-length, uh, perhaps an hour, an hour and a half uh, program. And then I've done several for Warners, uh, like uh, for uh, Valentine's Day, that should be coming out very shortly, and uh, for Halloween and Christmas, and I've also done a couple of uh, Captain Caveman, uh, these were just shorts, but uh, 
I'm talking about uh, Fred Flintstone and Barney Barney Rubble have done many for the uh, for the Flintstones, and uh, they should be on uh, national networks also. And uh, oh, a few hundred other things. I'll <laughs> be well worth watching for. And make some records when you get a chance too. Okay, sing some so. new songs for us. All Meanwhile, right. we got a great old one called "Toot Toot Tootsie Goodbye." <laughs> Toot toot say goodbye. Toot 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 say don't cry. The toot toot train attacked me. Away from you, the word could tell a fat it makes me. Kick me toot feeling. Do it over again. Watch for the mail. I'll never fail. If you don't get a letter, then you'll know I'm in jail. Toot 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 say don't cry. Toot 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 say Tootsie, goodbye. And on that note, regretfully, we'll have to say goodbye for now. Hope we can do it again, Mel, someday. Well, there's just one person that wants to say goodbye to everybody. Porky, come over here and say goodbye to him, will you? Yeah, you will. But I will. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. That's all, folks. Stay demented, Porky. Oh, Mel. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, and first in television, presents transcribed the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. For your enjoyment, here is the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Ann Whitfield, Walter Sharp and his music, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. Oh, <laughs> 
Many fathers help their children with their homework. The other day, Phil helped his little girls with their history lesson, and the repercussions were rather startling. More about that later. First, a word from RCA Victor. Again this year, the front page news and television comes from RCA Victor. Now, RCA Victor, maker of the world's most owned television, brings you an entire new line of television. And every set is five ways finer for 53. First, every 1953 RCA Victor has the new automatic magic monitor. This special circuit system, proved in thousands of sets, automatically brings in and holds the finest pictures possible. Second, RCA's improved deep image picture tube offers pictures of extra depth and clarity. Third, you get new long distance reception, better performance even in far out fringe areas. Fourth, there's no worry about new television stations. At modest extra cost, RCA Victor brings you its new advanced VHF UHF tuner. This automatic tuner has twice the sensitivity of many other tuners. And fifth, this year you have the greatest choice of cabinet styles and finishes in RCA Victor history. Yes, RCA Victor again brings you the big advances in TV, yet prices still start at only $199.95. $199.95. That's the low, low price of the Wayne big 17-inch television in a handsome table model cabinet. See the entire new line of RCA Victor TV at your dealers tomorrow and ask him to show you why new RCA Victor television is five ways finer for 53. For expert installation and service, ask about an RCA Victor factory service contract. And now the stars of the RCA Victor program, Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Last week, Phil had his ancestry traced, and he was told that he is a full-blooded Indian. He was also informed that he is a direct descendant of a Mohican chief. He's taken this very seriously and has reverted to the ways of the early red man. In fact, as we look in, he is serving the children breakfast Indian style. Big Indian chief just make them breakfast. Little Indian princes ready to eat them? Show enough and yeah, man. <laughs> Knock them off with Southern Jive We Indians now Daddy, can't we please eat now? I'm hungry No, first I sing them Sioux eating song Won't you come with me to Redskin Nation? Come see my mom on reservation She's drying corn for Indian ration And that's what I like about the Sioux uh. Start them off breakfast with Indian drink. Oh, Daddy, do we have to drink this? We don't like it. You don't like them good buffalo juice? <laughs> now, you drink them this and we have good breakfast that I cook them Indian style. Do you really know how to cook Indian style, Daddy? You betcha. I get them recipe handed down from great-great-grandmother. She was great Indian cook at time white man discover America. What did you make for breakfast, Daddy? We have dried fish, ground corn, scrambled herbs, and venison cacciatore. Cacciatore? Daddy, that's an Italian dish. We know them, we know them. 
Grandma had him a couple of dates with Columbus when he landed. <laughs> now eat them fast so you can get them to school on time. Indian never should Good be... Good morning, children. Good morning, Phil. How, Squall? Get them up late. Phil, up... stop with this Indian talk. You've been doing it all week and it's driving me crazy. Indians don't talk like that anymore. They don't? No, they've been educated and they talk good English. Yeah, I guess you're right. And from now on, I'm going to talk good English, of which there ain't nobody better at. (laughs) You betcha. A girl's eat your breakfast. I want to talk to your father. You wish to hold a powwow with the chief? Chief? Phil Harris, do you honestly Please, from now on, we're using my Indian name. Phil Fast Horse. (laughs) I'll thank you to show more respect when speaking to me, the last of the Mohicans. Oh, Phil, just because some Indian named Andrew Fast Horse told you you were a Mohican doesn't mean you have to believe it. Of course I believe it. Andrew Fast Horse is not just some Indian. He's my cousin, and I believe everything he says. But, Phil, he's just taking you for your money and... Wait a minute now. The powwow is over. The great chief no longer wishes to talk to the white squaw. You're dismissed on a kahuchi. What did you call me? On a kahuchi. That's your Mohican name. It means princess who bulges in the middle from loaded wampum belt. (laughs) Very lovely name. And from now on, I want you... Wait a minute. There's a bell. I'll get it. That's probably Elliot. I told him to drop over. Hi, Curly. How? What's that? That's Mohican for welcome pale face with breath like alcohol lamp. Come on in. Thank you, oh great chief galloping jackass. That's fast horse. I know it was some kind of a running animal (laughs) Girl, are you still on that Indian jag? Ever since you wrote to that phony Indian in Rapid City Now, wait a minute, wait a minute Cousin Andy's not a phony He's as straight as the arrow that flies from the bow of that great warrior Pocahontapun out there. <laughs> oh, Curly, I gotta have a little talk with you. You're being taken by this Andrew Fast Horse. He's just after your money. That's where you're wrong. He's helping me. As I told you, Elliot, he looked up some of the old Indian grants and told me I own a piece of property with oil on it. Yeah, I know. It's in Rapid City, South Dakota. Why don't you go there and look at it? I wrote to Andrew and told him I was coming to Rapid City to see my oil well. But he wired me and told me not to waste my time. Seems my oil well isn't in Rapid City. Where is it? Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) Right on Bedford Avenue, across the street from Ebbets Field. (laughs) Look, Curly, don't you realize you're being taken by this Indian hustler? There are no oil wells in Brooklyn. I know there ain't. I know there ain't. Andrew told me to tell everybody it's in Brooklyn so there won't be a rush to the place where my well really is. The place where it really is is a big secret. Where is it? Andrew wouldn't even tell me. (laughs) He keeps a secret beautifully. Phil, have you seen... Oh, hello, Elliot. Good morning, Mrs. Fast Horse. The chief here was just telling me about his oil well across the street from Ebbets Field. Mm Mm-hmm. Wonderful location, isn't it? 
It's the only well in the world where you can pump oil with one hand and catch foul balls with the other. <laughs> Go ahead, you two. You can laugh if you want to. The trouble with you both is that you're septics. <laughs> we'll change your tune as soon as my well comes in, and that ain't going to be long now that I sent Andrew the money to start drilling. Daddy, the it's time for our Indian lore lesson. You said you had something special to teach us. I did? Oh, oh, yes, yes. Well, I was going to show you how to dry and moth-proof a scalp, but um, <laughs> we don't have time for that right now, kids. You've got to go to school. Look, put on your buckskin breeches and your war paint and get going. Oh, being Indians, we don't have to go to school. Why? Is it an Indian holiday? Is it the 4th of Geronimo already? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a holiday, Daddy. We've been expelled. Yes. The teacher was telling us about the part the Indians played in the Lewis and Clark expedition. And we told her she was wrong. You told the teacher she was wrong? Why not? Being the daughters of a Mohican chief, they know more about the Indians than that pale-faced teacher. Well, the principal said we can't go back to school until we apologize. Apologize? This time, the white man has gone too far. I'm going down to see that principal and show him that he can't get away now, with now, it. Now, Phil, don't get excited. You're liable to go down there and get in a fight with him and punch him. I ain't gonna punch him. Us Indians ain't savages. Now, hand me my hat and tomahawk. I gotta go sing. I'll go with you. I've never seen a man's tomahawk. All right, come on. Shall I bring a towel? No. <laughs> You'll only get in trouble. No, you can't come. When we Indian braves go on the war path, we go alone. Our women stay behind and chant a war song to protect us from the evil spirits. So get your tom-tom and start chanting. <laughs> Comes along so unexpected Makes you feel so disconnected Comes along a love Comes along a love Suddenly, brother, are you happy and excited? Comes along a love Suddenly every dream you've had becomes invited Comes along a love Suddenly every dream you've had becomes ignited you just begin to live Comes along a love Comes along a love Comes along a love Suddenly though you never sang You're always singing Comes along a love Comes along a love Suddenly chimes you never heard before Keep ringing Comes along a love Comes along a love Suddenly night and day Your heart is highland flinging You love You say you live Comes along a love I don't Blue, you're feeling now You sparkle and you bubble Each blue bird double Comes along a love Suddenly petty things no longer seem to faze you Comes along a love Suddenly everyone around you seems to praise you Comes along a love Suddenly you discover things that just amaze you You just... Begin to live, comes along a lot. I don't care how you're feeling now. You sparkle and you bubble. You see each bluebird double. Comes along. 
along a lot, suddenly petty little things no longer fade. Comes along a lot, you. Comes along a lot, comes along a lot, suddenly everyone around you seems to pray. Comes along a lot, you. Comes along a lot, comes along a lot, suddenly you, you discover, discover things, things are just amazing. You. You just begin to live, to live and really love really each love. day you live. Comes along a lot. Ah, oh, man, am I going to tell that principal off? I'll give him a piece of my mind. Imagine the nerve of that guy telling Mike Elliot, will you come on? What are you staring at? I'm just admiring the schoolhouse. Reminds me of the time I went to school. Of course, this place looks a little different than the school I went to, but I guess times change. Oh, well, let's go find the warden's office. <laughs> the warden's office? Where'd you go, East Larceny High? Please, don't make fun of my alma mater. Some of my happiest days were spent at old pickpocket prep. <laughs> Will you come on already? Let's go. Pick the pocket, pick the pocket, pick the pocket, but don't get caught. Rah, rah, pick the pocket. Will you keep quiet? <laughs> Now, look, here's the principal's office. I'm going to tell him that my kids knew what they were talking about when they told the teacher about the part the Indians played in that uh, Lewis and Clark clam bait. What makes you so sure they knew what they were talking about? Because I taught them. <laughs> you taught them? Curly, what do you know about Lewis and Clark? Everything. They happen to be friends of mine. <laughs> Jerry Lewis and Dean Clark. <laughs> That's Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin Oh, Jerry must have gotten himself a new partner Curly, that's a different team Lewis and Clark were not comedians They were jugglers <laughs> I could have sworn they had something to do with Indians Naturally, they juggled Indian clubs <laughs> I don't believe we've hit it yet <laughs> Before I go in and see that principal, I'd better go home and look this thing up so I'm going to know what I'm talking about. No, well, you don't have to go home. The sign on that door over there says library. Library? Yeah. Hey, the school library should have some books on it. Sure. Come on, let's go in and look it up, huh? Hey, I'll ask that kid at the desk where we can find the right book. Uh, hey, kid, where can I find a book? Quiet, you stupid joke! This is a library! <laughs> Elliot, it's Whispering Jack Smith <laughs> Don't let him know what I'm here for Because he'll think I'm ignorant yeah. What are you doing here in school? Well, um, I'm, um Well, if you must know uh, Your principal asked me to deliver a lecture to the children The principal asked you to deliver? Oh, brother Oh, lead pants has really flipped his lid <laughs> I loaded spitballs have finally softened his brain Don't be sarcastic in the library 
He picked a good man to deliver the lecture because I'm going to be talking about a subject that's close to my heart. The title of my lecture is... I know. How to earn a million dollars or why I married Alice Faye. <laughs> that ain't the title. It ain't, huh? How about this one? How I learned to walk again after 20 years of staggering. <laughs> Don't noise that around. I'm saving that one for my book. <laughs> I'm going to lecture to the kids on the part the Indians played in the Lewis and Clark expedition. What do you know about Lewis and Clark? Everything. Lewis and Clark were a couple of men. Or women. Or one of each. <laughs> for you, that ain't bad. <laughs> Look, Julius, I might as well tell you the truth. I'm going into the principal's office and talk about Lewis and Clark, and I don't know nothing about them. So I came in here in the library to look it up. You don't have to look it up, Mr. Harris. They discovered the Northwest Passage. I've been studying about Lewis and Clark, and I'll tell you all about them. Gee, I wish you would, kid. Come on, tell me all about them, and, and I'll remember it, because I've got a good mind. Good for what? You can't remember to take off your underwear when you take a bath. <laughs> How else can you get your underwear washed? <laughs> Let's not carry this any further. I better write the information down for you. Yeah, he's right, Curly. That way you can't make any mistake. Okay, okay. Write it down. Put it on a piece of paper for me. And look, kid, if you do a good job, I'll reward you by giving you one of my latest RCA Victor Indian records. This is a reward? <laughs> I don't want one of your records. Poor kid, I guess he ain't got no record player. Yeah. I'll sing it for you now. Mama's on the warpath Mama's fighting mad Mama's boiling Yes, Mama's on the warpath Poor Papa Papa got it bad He's in bad, very bad, awful bad Mama's on the warpath Papa's leaving town Cause he's learned that when Mama's on the warpath It just ain't safe to be around Get away, get away And if he runs away He may live to fight another day before she throws him out You can hear poor Papa yell and shout Take to the hills whenever Mama's on the warpath Papa's laying low Cause he knows that when Mama's on the warpath Poor Papa, Papa better blow Brother blow, better blow, brother blow Mama's on the warpath Mama wears the pants Cause in our house when Mama's on the warpath Poor Papa Papa ain't got a chance Not a chance, not a prayer He's kaput Mama's on the warpath Papa's in a jam And he knows that if Mama's on the warpath He'd better take it on the lamp Better scram on the lamp Poor Papa's got a hunch Mama's saving up her Sunday punch She likes him black and blue so there's only one thing Pop can do Take to the hills whenever Mama's on the warpath Give her lots of room Cause as Pop says when Mama's on the warpath She's really riding on a broom Boom, 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 she's a witch on a broom Poor Papa's got a hunch 
Mama's saving up that Sunday punch She likes him black and blue So there's only one thing Pop can do Take to the hills Whenever Mama's on the warpath Give her lots of room Cause as Pop says when Mama's on the warpath She's really riding on a broom Hey, Julius, write everything down for me? Yeah, it's all on this piece of paper. Everything you have to know about Lewis and Clark is down here. Well, then I better get to studying it, because I want to know all the answers. Uh, well, uh, you haven't got time. It's almost 3 o'clock, and the principal will be leaving soon. Just stick the paper in your hat, and if you get stuck, you can look at it. Hey, that's a good idea. I'll put it right in my hat now. Hey, thanks, kid. Don't mention it. Being a Boy Scout, I always do one good deed a day. Of course, this ain't it, but I'm glad I'm <laughs> Hey, we're all set, Elliot. Let's go in and see the principal. Okay, Chief. Hey, now that I got this information, I know what I'm talking about, and I can really tell that principal. First, I'm going to let him know he can't expel a couple of my Indian kids and get away with it. Mm-hmm. Now, look, here's the office. Follow me and watch this. Let's go in. Right. <clears throat> are you the principal of this school? Yes, I am. And who are you, sir? I am that great Indian chief, Phil Fasthorse. And I want to talk to you Well, sorry, I'm not in the market for any blankets But if I'm ever in Albuquerque, I'll look you up (laughs) I don't have to be selling blankets I'm Chief Fast Horse, the last of the Mohicans Surely you've heard of me Well, you look familiar, I... Oh, of course, I've seen your picture on the hubcap of a Pontiac Just what do you want here, sir? I am here to uphold the honor of the Indian You can't mistreat the children of a fast horse Just what are you talking about? You had the nerve to expel my two little fast horses I don't believe we have any fast horses in this school (laughs) What are their first names? Champion and Trigger I'm talking about my daughters You probably know them by their pale face names Alice and Phyllis Harris Harris? Oh, so you're the father of those two bloodthirsty renegades They ain't bloodthirsty They ain't, huh? No, they... (laughs) Ain't Fine way for a school principal to talk Now I know who's been learning my kids to talk bad English (laughs) I resent that There ain't nobody can learn them better than me, you know (laughs) What have I said? Now, will you please get out of here? I am here? not leaving till you tell me why you expel my kids. Because they act like savages. They threatened to scalp the janitor. They, they tried to ride the teacher bareback. When I wasn't looking, they shot arrows at me. Arrows? Did they hit you? Why do you think I've been standing up all this time? Well, you don't have to get mad about it. Those are just childish pranks. After all, the peace will be for peace. A piece? That's plural for papu. <laughs> Look, us Indians got our right and we're going Oh, stop it. You're no more an Indian than I am. I think you're a phony. That I will not stand for. 
I'm a full-blooded Indian, and I'm proud of my heritage. I'm a real Indian, one of the few genuine Indians All who are... right, all right, you're an Indian. Now, please stop bothering me and go stand in front of a cigar store. <laughs> cigar store? Look, buddy, one more crack like that, and I'm going to scrape your insides out and make a canoe out of you. <laughs> Better take the arrow out of him first He might leak <laughs> Your children are disrupting the entire school Why, yesterday that teacher was giving the class a lesson On the Lewis and Clark expedition And how they discovered the Northwest Passage And your girl... Hold it, hold it I've just been waiting for you to mention Lewis and Clark I'd like to discuss them with you oh, I doubt if you know anything about Lewis and Clark Are you serious? I happen to have a hat fu- a head full of information. <laughs> oh, you do, eh? All right, just who were Lewis and Clark? Well, answer me, who were they? Wait till I get my hat under a good light. <laughs> <clears throat> Lewis and Clark. Their full names were Meriwether Lewis and Meriwether. <laughs> That's right. Oh, for a minute, I thought that kid was getting hokey. <clears throat> As I was saying... Their full names were Meriwether Lewis and Stetson 7 and 18 Clark. <laughs> Earlier reading the label. <laughs> All right, what did Lewis and Clark do? They were explorers. They left St. Louis in 1804, and after many months of travel, they discovered Mulholland Drive. (laughs) Mulholland Drive? That's a lover's lane in the Hollywood Hills. This was the new neck of the woods. (laughs) Today, every fella takes his girl to Mulholland Drive and tries to kiss her, and that's why it's called the Northwest Pass. I think that's the way it happened, but this version sounds like more fun. <laughs> yeah, it was a spicy little expedition, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, listen to the rest of this. Lewis and Clark whistled at oh, a couple of... Oh, get out. Both of you get out of here. This is the most outrageous misinterpretation of history I've ever heard. You don't like it? Harris, get out of this school and don't come back. I never want to see your stupid red face again. All right, all right, I'll go. Come on, Elliot. Let's go someplace and get a good reading lamp. What for? I want to finish this story. I got to find out how them two cats made out. They were... Alice and Phil will be back in just a moment. Year after year, and again for 53, RCA Victor brings you the big advances in television. Every set in the 1953 line of America's most owned television is now five ways finer. There's the new automatic magic monitor circuit system, improved deep image picture tube, a choice of 42 different combinations of cabinet styles and finishes, the greatest selection in RCA Victor history. And yet, with all these great advances and more, prices still start at only $199.95. See RCA Victor's great line of 1953 television soon. You'll find many beautiful sets styled to fit perfectly with modern and traditional furniture. A good example is the Dobson, 
huge 21-inch console television with handsomely grained double doors. See all 23 new models tomorrow. There's one just right for your home. And ask your dealer to show you why new RCA Victor television is five ways finer for 53. We're a little late. Good night, um, folks. Good night, everybody. program transcribed was Joseph Kearns. The part of Julius was played by Walter Tetley. The character Andrew Fasthorse was created by and is used under license from Richard English. Now RCA Victor brings you the famed British orchestra, the Melocrino Strings, in a brand new album of light and delightful music. In this new album, these accomplished continental artists play eight wonderful selections, including Masquerade, Violins in the Night, and the Pink Lady Waltz. For easy to listen to music, ask for this new RCA Victor album, the Melocrino Strings, at your record dealers tomorrow. It's only $2.80 on new 45 extended play records, $3 on long play. Next, hear Theater Guild on the air over NBC. Hello again, this is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jack Benny Show from the 1942-1943 season. This episode has a couple guest stars on it. We get a chance to spend some time with George Jessel, who we've talked about before, who was kind of your entertainer's entertainer, and everybody looked up to him, and he would go around and do all the Hollywood parties and everything. Uh, Never really found a niche for himself in radio or television on an ongoing series, which is kind of do lots of guest appearances. Another interesting person on this episode is Joe Besser, and a lot of folks have been really enjoying Besser's performances on the Jack Benny Show recently. I've been getting a lot of emails and um, comments left on the website and everything, and Joe Besser is the one who's always has that kind of high kind of a feminine voice of uh, that's always saying things like um, not so fast not so fast <laughs> and that sort of thing he's a he's a very entertaining character and he uses his character throughout Jack Benny's radio show other radio shows he's on in television uh, he's on Jack's show a number of times on television and also uses that same voice on other folks shows on television as well and then in uh, 1956, he became uh, one of the Three Stooges um, after, uh, let's see, there was Shemp uh, that made their first uh, picture with um, the Three Stooges, and then Curly took over, and Curly ran until 1946 when he had a stroke, and then Shemp came back and stayed with them until 1955 when he died of uh, a heart attack, I believe. And then uh, Joe Besser took over um, in 1956 to 57 
but the films that they created within that time frame of about a year, year and a half or something, uh, were released over the next number of years. So really he seemed to be a member from 56 to about 59. But anyway, I hope you enjoy Joe Besser and George Jessel and the rest of the gang tonight, and we'll see you next time. The Grape Nuts Flakes program, coming to you from New York City and starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Dennis Day, Rochester, yours truly, Don Wilson, and our guest conductor, Abe Lyman. Habit? Habit? Who has a habit? Now, here's a funny thing. Why is it we're always hearing so much about bad habits? Yours and mine and the next-door neighbors. And still nobody has a kind word to say about good habits. Well, right now, I'm going to put in my two cents worth for a perfectly swell habit. The habit of starting your day off with that grand little eye-opener, crisp, tempty, toasty brown grape nuts flakes. Yes, sir. Once you make a habit of grape nuts flakes, once you sample that malty-rich flavor and smack your lips over that crisp, toasty texture, you're certain to come back for more. Prove it. Tomorrow, just do this. Try a bowl full of appetite-making grape nut flakes for breakfast. See if you don't find them so swell-tasting that a daily dish will become second nature to you. Yes, grape nut flakes are a good habit. So why don't you make a daily habit of grape nut flakes? Ladies and gentlemen, we have a little surprise for you. Jack wired us that owing to a slight delay coming up on the train from Norfolk, Virginia, he will be just a few minutes late. So while we're waiting for Jack, I'll turn the mic over to his very good friend, the famous star of Showtime, Georgie Jessel. Thank you, fellas. Hello again. This is Georgie Jessel, French hitting for Benny. And I want to tell you folks that I'm very happy to be here tonight for two reasons. First, it's an honor and a pleasure to help Jack out. And second, I must get something for this. <laughs> and of course, Don, it's nice uh, working with you, too. Well, thank you, Georgie. I think we'll get along fine. And by the way, Don, uh, Jack does expect to pay me for this. I mean, he won't take advantage of our friendship, will he? Oh, no, no, Georgie. Jack wouldn't do a thing like that. Why, I'm sure he'll compensate you for your work. Fine. Well, I hope it's with money. You see, uh, see, Don, I've already got a hand-painted necktie. And I don't like the way Jack paints them anyway, you see? Now, wait a minute, Georgie. You're not really worried about Jack paying you for tonight, are you? Well, I'm not exactly worried, but I'd like to be on one program where I don't have to write in a pot for my lawyer. <laughs> well, what happened to Jack, and why is he so late? Well, Georgie, last week we played camps around Washington, D.C. and Virginia. And Jack and Rochester missed the train at Norfolk. Missed the train? Yes, you see, Jack told Rochester to wake him up at 9 a.m., but Rochester overslept, and I imagine Jack was pretty burned up when he woke up. Hmm. <clears throat> imagine missing my own program. Listen, Rochester, there's no excuse for your oversleeping this morning. Especially after I gave you that alarm clock. Well, I was dreaming I was in the ring with Joe Lewis, and when the bell rang, I came out fighting. 
And what happened? You know, Mr. Lewis, he smacked me right back to sleep again. <laughs> Look, Rochester, I'm not interested in your dreams. You're always telling me yours, boss. Remember the night you dreamt you was a mother robin? Never mind. Never mind. And you woke up sitting in your toupee? <laughs> On a billiard ball yet. Anyway, Rochester, this is the last time I'm going to take you on a trip east with me. The only time I see you is when you need money. We've been away from home two months. You spent more dough than I have. There ain't no record. <laughs> you spent plenty, and most of the time you lose it in a crap game. A crap game? Yes. Up in Harlem, we call it Ivory Stock Market. <laughs> I don't care what you call it. We'll talk about this later. Say, boss, who's taking your place on the program tonight? A fellow named Georgie Jessel. He's a great pal of mine. Mr. Jessel? I never seen him. What does he look like? Well, I'd say that Jessel was medium height, nice personality, and looks something like an anteater. <laughs> Although I doubt if he does. Say, is there, um, <laughs> is there a radio in this observation car? There, there's one right over by that lady. Oh, yes, uh, uh, pardon me, madam. Do you mind if I tune in on the radio? I want to hear the Great Nuts Flakes program. Is that the show with Jack Benny on it? Yes. <laughs> good. Good heavens, she jumped out the window. Oh, well, everybody can't like me. Now, Rochester, tune in NBC. It's around 65 on the dial. Yes, sir. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the reason Toasty Brown Sweetest and that Grape Nuts Flakes in the big 12-ounce economy size package is America's fastest-growing flake cereal. That's it, Rochester. That's Don Wilson, all right. Once you sample the baldy-rich flavor, you'll certainly come back for more. That's very good, Don. I'm so excited I'm going to eat breakfast tomorrow for the first time in 30 years. Hangover or no hangover. <laughs> well, Don, how am I doing so far? Do you think I'm handling the program all right? Well, to tell you the truth, George, uh, and, and please don't repeat this to Jack. Oh, you can trust me, Don. I think you've given this program new life. Frankly, Jack belongs to the yuck-yuck school of humor. Oh, yuck-yuck. Say, Georgie, you've known Jack a long while, haven't you? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, Jack and I did an act together in Vaudeville. We were known as Myrtle, the dancing horse. <laughs> oh, did, uh, did you and Jack work in a horse costume? Oh, yes, and Jack did a great job, even though he had the worst end of it. <laughs> you know what I mean, Don? He, he couldn't look out at the audience and wink like I did, huh? <laughs> By the way, Don, where is Mary? Here I am. Hello, Georgie. Hello. There's, there's Miss Livingston. Doesn't she sound natural? Yeah. Brace yourself, boss. Here it comes. She better be careful what she says. Well, Mary, I guess you're anxious for Jack to get back. It'll seem rather strange working with me, won't it? No, I like to work with you, Georgie. You want to know something? Now, don't repeat this to Jack, Oh, you? you can trust me. <laughs> well, believe me, it gets pretty tiresome week after week looking at that blank face of his. Looks like a pot of library paste. <laughs> Whoever saw a library paste with big blue eyes? <laughs> Well, Mary, after all, I'm not so much to look at myself. But at least you're different. You smile and laugh once in a while. Jack never laughs. 
Well, my teeth don't slip out. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Shut up, Roger. Now, you shut up, Roger. My teeth don't slip out. No, sir. You hold them in better than anybody. (laughs) Quiet, now. I want to hear this. Say, Mary, I'd like to ask you something, and believe me, you're the first one I've mentioned this to. Uh, what do you think Jack's going to give me for taking his place on the program tonight? Well, first he'll come in and ask you how much you want. Yes. Then he'll offer you half of that. And if I won't take it? He'll pour a knife on you. Can you imagine that? Well, Mary, you can't be serious. My goodness, he isn't that tight. He isn't, eh? Listen, Georgie. Jack has been traveling around the East for eight weeks, and he's still got California air in his pocketbook. <laughs> Oh, he must have opened it up to let the moth see Radio City. (laughs) Rochester. He ain't no good at all. (laughs) Gee, I wish this train would get in. And, George, do you want me to tell you something else? What is it? (laughs) Well, Jack took me to the store club the other night, and when the waiter brought the check... (laughs) What's the matter? What what are you laughing at? Well, Jack pulled his violin out of his vest and said, Go away, I work here. (laughs) That's a big fib. Well, Mary, you've given me a very vivid picture of what I'll have to go through when Jack comes in. Anyway, let's have a band number from Abe Lyman. And play something loud, Abe. My mother's listening in, and she hasn't got a radio. She just opens the window. Hit it, Abe, hit it. Look, Rochester, we're getting into the Penn Station. That's right. New York, New York, all out. Last one off the train is a pot of library page. Catch on? (laughs) Grab those bags, Rochester. I want to rush over to the studio. Okay. I'll go right to my hotel and pack the trunk. Remember, we're leaving town tomorrow. Oh, Porter! Porter! Brazil, played by Abe Lyman and his band. And I must say, Abe, after hearing the boys, and I'm surprised the way Jack ran down your orchestra a couple of weeks ago. He shouldn't do that. Of course he shouldn't. My music is all right. Well, that I wouldn't say, but Jack should never mention it. (laughs) By the way, Abe, I don't know whether you know this or not, but I have been writing an autobiography. Autobiography. That means the story of my life. Thanks. You're welcome. Inasmuch as we've been friends for years, I've got something in it about you. Now, is that okay? Yeah, but don't put nothing in about that dame in Cincinnati. Oh, don't worry, I won't. I'll simply mention that you're a bon vivant, a raconteur, an entrepreneur. Is that all right with you? Yeah, just leave out that dame in Cincinnati. Oh, I will, I will. You see, this book I'm writing 
It's, it's called So Help Me, and it ought to be on hey, any Now, day. wait a minute, Georgie. Here comes Dennis Day. Do you know him? No, not personally, no. Well, you like him, George. He's a great kid, although he's a little naive. Oh, you just leave Dennis to me. I'll handle him all right. I'll bet you a dollar he'll drive you nuts. All right, it's a bet. Here he is, Georgie. Dennis? Hello, Mr. Benny. Did you have a nice trip? Nice trip, Benny. What is this? Hey, hey Don, did Mr. Benny miss the train in Norfolk, Virginia? Oh, wait a minute, Dennis. It's Jessel. Jessel. Where's that? Well, I've lost 35 cents already. Now, listen, Dennis. I'm just taking Jack's place until he gets here. Jack who? Here's your dollar, Mary. Thanks. Hey, what's going on? Why, nothing, Dennis. I just bet Mary a dollar that you couldn't drive me nuts. She wins more money that way. <laughs> well, all I can say is this entire event looks good for a total loss to me, I'll tell you. Hello, fellas. Hello, Hello here I am. It's sure good to be back. And am I glad to see you, Jack. Believe me. Me too. I kind of miss you, old pal. So did I, Jack. Boy, am I tickled to see you. Oh, yes, yes. Of course, certainly. I'm tight except for my teeth that slip out. And I got a face like a pot of library paste. Doesn't have to be in a pot. <laughs> well, there was a radio on the train. I heard every word you fellas said. I was fine loyalty talking behind my back. I didn't say anything about you, Mr. Benny. I know you didn't, Dennis. I just got here. <laughs> I know that, too. Well, hello, Georgie. How did you like taking my place tonight? I will know in a little while. <laughs> well, I appreciate your coming over and helping me out. It was a great display of friendship. Here it comes, Georgie. I'm ready. Now, look, Jack, we're very good friends, you know. But this is my business, the same as yours. I understand that now. But look, Georgie... Look nothing. You wired me to come here, I didn't expect to get paid. Take it easy, Georgie. I'll give you a check for whatever you think your time is worth. Now, uh, what do you want? Well, now, Jack, let me put it this way. If I don't sleep well tonight, it should be from happiness. <laughs> now, don't beat around the bush, Georgie. How much do you want? I'll take $500. But if you put down that knife, we'll start at a thousand. I'll give you five hundred. Let's not argue about it. Now let's see. Where's my checkbook? Gosh, I don't think I. Here's brought... a blank check, Mr. Benny. Thanks. Hmm. <laughs> now let's see. If I'd only brought my fountain. Here's a fountain pen, Mr. Benny. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> well, I got the check and fountain pen. Might as well start writing. I may be wrong, but I think your hair just went a shade grayer. Quiet. February 17th, 1900, and now the amount. Now, uh, wait a minute. This is 1943, Jack, not 45. Oh, oh, pardon me. Now, just a second. Pay to the order of... Say, how do you want this made out? George Jessel or Georgie Jessel? Just put down man, $500. <laughs> February 17th, 1900, and now the amount. Now, uh, wait a minute. This is 1943, Jack, not 45. Oh, oh, pardon me. Now, just a second. Pay to the order of... Say, how do you want this made out? George Jessel or Georgie Jessel? Just put down man, $500. <laughs> now, 
All right, here's your check. Well, now, thank you very much. Well, I guess I'll be running along now, and I'll see you tomorrow night at the banquet, Jack. Yeah. What banquet is that, Mr. Benny? Well, next Sunday's my birthday, and since we'll be in Toronto, some of my friends here in New York are throwing a little party for me tomorrow night. Who's going to be there, Georgie? All your pals on Broadway. Everybody, from Benny Rubin to Fred Allen. Fred Allen? Now, wait a minute. This is my birthday party, and I don't want Allen there. But, Jack, we need a crowd. We need everybody we can get to blow out the candles. <laughs> Cut that out. I'm not nearly as old as you are, Georgie, and you know it. Go on. I read in Newsweek magazine yesterday that you were 47 years old. 47? That's a misprint. You mean it should be 74? No. <laughs> I mean it should be 33, like I feel. All right, Alan. All right, Alan can come to the party. <laughs> I knew that would happen. I knew it. <laughs> I put commas there. <laughs> All right, comma. Alan can come to the party. Well, look at But I don't want him to make any speeches about me. Well, don't you worry, Jack, because I'm the only speaker at the table, comma. And I got my speech. <laughs> I have my speech all prepared. You have? What are you going to say? Well, something like this. Gentlemen... We are gathered here tonight to pay tribute to a man who, some odd years ago, was born in a log cabin near what is now the town of Waukegan, Illinois. Log cabin? There was great rejoicing in this frontier settlement. Frontier? And friendly Indians came from far and wide <laughs> to bring gifts of beads and moccasins to the first white child born in this wilderness. Now, wait a minute, Georgie. When I was born, Waukegan was a good-sized si good town. I'm only 33. All right, I'll say you're 33. Good. And to make that believable, I'll wear diapers. <laughs> I don't care what you wear. All right, thank you very much, Jack, and I'll see you tomorrow. So long, Georgie. So long. So long. I forgot something. Oh, Georgie, Georgie, wait a minute. I want to ask you something. Quack, quack, what is it? Georgie, I hear you're writing a book with a lot of anecdotes about yourself and, and, and people in show business. Is that right? Yes, it is. Well, uh, does my name come up in it? Oh, sure, Jack. Several times. Well, look, uh, Georgie. Yeah? Uh, do me a favor, will you? Yeah? Don't mention that dame in Cincinnati. <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, so long, Georgie. So long, comma, comma. Well, go ahead, Dennis. Let's have your song. Uh, what do you want to see Georgie about? I want to make his check a little higher, you know. Sing, kid, sing, kid.
Mood sung by Dennis Day And very, very good, Dennis Thank you You know, Mr. Benny I think it was awfully nice Of Mr. Jessel To come over here And help you out tonight What do you mean, nice? You got $500 for it Well, for heaven's sake You don't expect Georgie To come over here And work for nothing, do you? Well, why not? He's a friend of mine Well, would you work On his show for nothing? Listen, Don I'm talking to Miss Livingston Well, would you? That's Don's question Think of your own I've got one Shut up now, look, uh, look, fella, Georgie was here. He did a good job. He got paid, so let's forget about it. And now I have an announcement to make. Ladies and gentlemen, here is important information for all of you who have friends, relatives, or sweethearts in our armed forces abroad. If you want your letters to get overseas quickly and safely, use V-mail, which is dispatched by the most expeditious means. Expeditious? What's the idea of pulling those big words? Listen, Abe, expeditious isn't a big word. Anything over three letters is showing off. <laughs> Abe, I know you have a set of blocks, but some of them must be missing there. <laughs> One leader I'd like to get that's been through third grade. Let me finish this, will you, Abe? Huh? Would you go over and lay down someplace? Or lie down, excuse me. <laughs> among the... Among the advantages... Among the advantages of V-mail is the fact that it's the fastest of all wartime communications. But remember, folks, V-mail is not for domestic use. Only use it when you write right to the boys overseas. And our listeners in Canada should go to their local post office for information. Thank you very much. And fellas, uh, my gang, now speaking of Canada, you know we're all leaving for Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto next Tuesday night. How are you going to send us, by V-mail? No, we're going by train. And here's something else. Come in. Yes? Pardon me, I work for Mr. Jessel, and he sent me back here for his cane. Oh. My name is Joe Besser. Lesser? No, Besser! Oh, yes. Yes, Besser. I, I, I never get that right. Well, Mr. Besser, what does the cane look like? Something like Jessel, only taller. <laughs> oh, well, he must have left his cane in my dressing room. Now, look, Mr. Besser, my dressing room. You go out this door here, turn to your right. No, turn to your left. Then you walk down three steps till you get to the corridor. Then you turn to your right again. No, then take your next left. Shut up, not so Oh, oh, pardon me. Well, just ask an usher, and he'll tell you where it is. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, say, Mr. Benny, I'm going to be at your banquet tomorrow night. Oh, my birthday party? Well, you know, Mr. Besser, next Sunday, I'll be 33 years old. You old crazy, you. <laughs>
pretty mean crazy. I feel like a kid. Now, getting back to our Canadian trip, fellas, when we get to Toronto next week, I want you all to be... I'll take it. Hello? Hello, Mr. Bain. This is Rochester. Good. Uh, Rochester, did you pack my trunk? Yes, sir, and it's on its way to Toledo. <laughs> Toledo? We're going to Toronto. Toronto's in Ohio. Toledo's in Ohio. We're going to Ontario. I thought you said we were going to Canada. Look, Rochester, Toledo is in Ohio and Ontario is in Canada. And Toronto is in Ontario. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Boss, we sound like Abbott and Costello. <laughs> now, Rochester, concentrate. Here's what you do. Call up the express company here in New York. Tell them to call the express company in Toledo and have them send my trunks to Toronto. Not so fast! <laughs> Rochester... Now, you get right on that job and do as I say, because this is the worst mess that I've ever been in. And I want... on breakfast for a flying start on the day. The man on the swing shift, the lad on the farm, the housewife, the youngster in school. But we're all taking on extra duties and we're all using up extra energy. So we all need a full share of nourishment, the kind you get in tempting grape nuts flakes. Because grape nuts flakes are a whole grain cereal. And thrifty, plentiful whole grain cereals provide the nutritional elements we all need including protective minerals and vitamins. Yes, sir, in every delicious, malty-rich bowl full of toasty brown grape nuts flakes with milk, you get proteins, iron, calcium, phosphorus, and two of the health-building B vitamins, niacin and vitamin B1. You can very readily see why a daily breakfast with grape nuts flakes helps you to make up for other food shortages. So for a swell start on your working day... Start your day with a big, luscious bowl full of delicious, nutritious grape nuts flakes. number of the 19th program in the new Grape Nuts Flake series, and we'll be with you again next Sunday night broadcasting from Toronto. 
and we'll be seeing you Canadian servicemen in Montreal Wednesday, in Ottawa Thursday, and Saturday night at Camp Borden, Ontario. Good night, folks. The Jack Benny program is written by Bill Morrow and Ed Beloy.